church. My name is Jason. I'm the pastor here at the church, and uh, we're really excited that you're here. Excited to celebrate with Luca and uh, celebrate with Julie. What an amazing story. Thank you, Julie, for sharing that. I love what she said about how it's not just about you. It's about the people around you. I don't know if you've experienced this or found this out, but I've found that Jesus is contagious. Uh, When Jesus starts changing your life, uh, more contagious than COVID. Like you better put a mask on, a couple masks. If you don't want to share Jesus with people, when he starts changing your life, you can't help but just spread it. Um, and, uh, and so I, I, I've seen that to be true. And so many of you are in this room today because somebody got Jesus in their life and they couldn't help but just spread it and, and it's happened to you and that's the way it works. And so thank you for being here first time or long time, you know, wherever, if you're watching online, just glad that we get to be together today. We have been for a while now, re- been reading through the book of Galatians. We're studying this New Testament book uh, in the Bible. It was originally a letter, uh, not a book, but we, we kind of made it a book, put chapters and numbers to it, but it was really a letter written by the Apostle Paul to Christians, uh, relatively new Christians. And so we're taking two months to do that. We are in part seven, which that's a long time uh, to keep up with something. So if you'd allow me for just a few moments, I would love to recap. Maybe this is your first time with us. You'll get to catch up uh, with us. But even if you've been here every week, it's good to have a little recap. So I'm going to recap where we are to kind of set up where we're going uh, today. So Galatians was a letter written by the apostle Paul. He wrote it to the people of Galatia and they had been Christians. They are Christians, relatively new Christians, but they were beginning to fall away because they were being influenced by what the Bible calls false teachers. People who were teaching something that was not true, saying that it was true, but it wasn't true. So, So false teaching was influencing them and what they were saying to them was that in order to be a Christian, it wasn't enough to just believe in Jesus. You had to act a certain way. And specifically for them, their issue was they needed to act Jewish because the Galatians weren't Jewish. So these false teachers were showing up and saying, to be a Christian, yes, you gotta believe in Jesus, but that's not enough. You also have to act like a Jewish person, which means following all all the rules of the Old Testament, all the laws, all the strange ones maybe you've read before uh, in the Old Testament. They said, you gotta believe in Jesus and you gotta do all of that, specifically circumcision. And we've said each week that obviously that's not our struggle. Acting Jewish or circumcision is not our struggle, but we do struggle with feeling like we have to act like a Christian. So what they were struggling with was not our struggle, but why they were struggling is our struggle. That every Christian from the Galatians all the way to now, every generation has felt this pressure like believing in Jesus is not enough. You gotta believe in Jesus and you gotta act Christian. You gotta be a better Christian. You gotta be more committed. You gotta be more sold out. You gotta be more on fire. You can't just be a believer. You've gotta be a believer and really, really, really Christian or it's not enough. So this is what they were struggling with and what we struggle with Two, and here's what was happening to them and here's what happens to us. They were believing that the message of Christianity, that the gospel message is believe in Jesus, change, and God will love you. Have you ever thought that? That's what they were believing. That you gotta believe in Jesus, then you have to change, and then God will love you, but that's not Christianity and that's not the gospel and that's not the message of Jesus. The message of Jesus is believe and God's love will change you. You see the difference? They, they were believing that you b- believe in Jesus and change and God will love you. But that's not Christianity. The, the message of Christianity is believe in Jesus and God's love 
will change you. And so the message we keep coming back to every week over these last seven weeks is that salvation is not based on what you do. Paul is beating this with a two by four week after week after week. That salvation is not based on what you do. It's based on what Jesus did. That the message of Christianity is not do. The message of Christianity is done. The gospel is not about earning. The gospel is about receiving. And this should be the greatest news we've ever heard. And we should embrace it and never look back and be grateful for it. But the truth is we struggle with it because we want a list. We want rules. We want to know where the line is. We want to know where the bar is. But all you need to be a Christian is nothing. And what we've said each week is that most people don't have it. The hardest thing about Christianity is that we bring nothing to it. And that, that's what makes it so challenging. And so if you want to be a Christian or if you already are a Christian, what we keep saying and what we're going to keep saying is that it has absolutely nothing to do with what you do. It has everything to do with what you believe Jesus did. It's what you believe about Jesus that makes you a Christian. Not based on what you do, but what, what you believe. Now, as I say that, and as you've been hearing that every, every week, there is a tension, isn't there? Maybe you've been feeling it even as I was giving that, that recap. I know that I've felt it as I've been writing these messages each week, writing these messages, feeling this, this tension. And a few of you have actually brought it up to me uh, after the services uh, these last couple of weeks. I talked to somebody last week after the Easter message and they came up to me and they said, you know, I've really enjoyed this Galatians series. It's been, it's been really good. I grew up in a traditional, um, you know, fundamentalist, conservative type of church like you describe. And these messages have been so good, but I have to be honest, this person's saying to me, I have to be honest, every time you've been preaching, I've wanted to interrupt you and stand up and yell, but, but, I've wanted to, to, to make sure that we talk about, about the but. Yes, being a Christian is not based on what you do. It's based on what you believe, but maybe you felt that tension. Yes, God couldn't love you anymore and he'll never love you any less. Thank you for saying that, Jason. But don't forget the other part, this tension. There's another part, right? Like it, that can't just be it. Like there's gotta be another Part, yes, I know, thank you, Jason, for saying that. Yes, you can't earn your salvation. We need to hear that. But, this person was saying, I've wanted to interrupt you every week and say, but, right? Have you felt that? And I'd be willing to bet if you were raised in church, most of you know my story, first, you know, fourth generation church preacher, pastor, kid, mom goes into labor, playing the piano, Sunday night church. You know, I don't know if that's true, but that's the legend, supposedly. And so if you're anything like me, if you're raised in church at all, if your mom or your grandmother was religious in any way, I would be willing to bet that you have felt this tension over these last six or seven weeks. Man, it feels so good and so refreshing to hear about grace and to hear about not based on my behavior. But, Jason, aren't you afraid that if you keep talking like this, aren't you afraid that people are just gonna throw up their hands and say, well, I guess if God loves me no matter what, and I can't earn my salvation, I'll just, I can just do whatever I want. Aren't you worried about that, Jason? And the answer to your question is, yes, I'm terrified of it. I'm terrified of it. Um, each and every week as I've typed these messages, I have felt like I should add all kinds of disclaimers. You're not hearing the first draft. Um, I, I take them out. 
I always have to go in and take them out because I want to add all these disclaimers and, 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 and make sure to talk about the but and make sure to talk about the but don't think that or if there's something, there's this religious part inside of me that wants to add all the buts and all the disclaimers, but I have to delete them because Paul is clear in his letter and, and he would say it to you and me that the message of Christianity is grace. It's grace. And grace makes us feel so uncomfortable There was a famous minister, Martin Lloyd-Jones. He really said it best. He was talking about the tension that pastors feel, uh, that preachers feel when when preachers are preaching on grace. Uh, And I wanna read this quote to you. I'm gonna put it up on the screen because I I want you to see this. This is what Martin Lloyd-Jones said about preachers preaching on grace. He would say, I would say to all preachers, he's talking to me, he says, if, you're, if your preaching of salvation has not been misunderstood in that way, and that way he's talking about justification by faith only, which is just a fancy way of saying, if, you're, if your preaching has not been misunderstood in some way that people would just throw their hands up and say, I guess that means I can do whatever I want, then you had better make sure that you are really preaching the salvation that is offered in the New Testament to the ungodly, to the sinner, and to those who are enemies of God. He says, there's a dangerous element There's a dangerous element about the true presentation of the doctrine of salvation. There's something dangerous, he says, about the true presentation of the doctrine of salvation. Preaching salvation through faith alone is incredibly dangerous because it is so easily misunderstood. But if you don't have people in some way who misunderstand it and, and believe that Jesus's love and grace is so great that they are free to take advantage of it, then we're probably not preaching about grace enough, honestly. And I read this quote from Martin Lloyd-Jones several years ago, and it fundamentally changed the way that I approach sermons approach approach preaching that if I'm going to be misunderstood I'd like to be misunderstood on the side of grace and so for the last six weeks I have tried to just turn on the faucet of grace 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 more grace more grace more grace because it's truly believing the gospel message that transforms our life That if you ever truly believe the gospel, what's the gospel? We've said it each week, that you are a worse sinner than you ever believed that you are, but you are more loved by God than you ever believed you could be. That if you ever truly believe that, if that ever really sinks down deep into your heart and to your soul, your life will change, but not because you got more disciplined or more willpower, but because the power of the gospel is transforming your life from the inside out. But today, we come to the but. We, we get to the, the tension that we have been feeling. And here's the question we're going to try to answer. The question is, if there's no condemnation for someone who believes in Jesus, Jason, if you're accepted based solely on what Jesus did and not what you do, if it's a free gift of grace, Jason, does that mean that I can live any way that I want? This is the question that we're going to answer today. And it's a valid question. It's such a valid question that has been asked and debated for thousands of years. And the reason that it's such an important question is because if you've been thinking at all, like if your mind's been spinning at all, 
then, then you have been trying to understand how telling someone that their behavior has zero effect on whether or not they are accepted by God would actually motivate them to live the Christian life, right? How, how is it motivating to say it doesn't matter? Isn't it true that if you're not monitoring your eating or your weight, you gain weight? Isn't that true? I mean, most of us, except the weirdos in here who eat donuts and lose weight. We don't like you, but we, you know, are friends with you. But for most of us, it's like, if you're not, if you're not monitoring your health, you become more unhealthy. Isn't that true? Isn't it true that if you're not actually trying, you're not actually motivated, you you don't improve, you actually get a little bit worse, right? What about this? What about um, maybe you used to be an hourly wage employee or a commission-based employee, and then you got a job that was salary-based. And one day it dawns on you, I'm going to get paid no matter what. Wouldn't you admit, like you wouldn't admit it to your boss, but wouldn't you admit like in some place in your mind and heart, you thought, I'm not going to work as hard. If my compensation is not tied to my effort or my hours, I'm going to give a little less effort and a little more hours. This is, this is the tension, the Christian life, right? Or what about this one? This one's going to be a little bit uncomfortable, but isn't it true that before you were married, like you were trying to lose a little weight, you know, you were trying to be smell good, look good, feel good. And then you see somebody and you get them and you put in all this effort and flowers and all this stuff and trying to look good, sexy, strong, whatever. Then you get married and you said till death do us part. So you're like, okay, Sure. And you let yourself go a little bit, like don't elbow the person you're sitting beside, but isn't it true that like you let yourself go a little bit? And here's what's really sad is that divorce, it's on the table, you drop 25 pounds. Why? Motivation. Back on the market. So this is the tension. I'm, if, if it doesn't matter, then how would I be motivated to actually improve. Maybe you're a senior in high school or college and you've got already been accepted to the next place you're going. And wouldn't you admit that like junior year, first semester, senior year, you were trying really hard, but then you got accepted. And it's like, I mean, I can't fail, but I'm kind of already in. So, and so here I am up here every week as a preacher saying, you're already in. And And you're saying, Jason, that by telling people that they're already in, that they would actually be motivated to live the Christian life instead of demotivated? Well, what we're going to read today explains why what is true in every other area of your life is not true in Christianity. That what is true about going from hourly to salary or single to married or you know, applying to accepted, why all those things are true in your life, it's not true about Christianity. And it's gonna answer this question for us. How does unconditional love actually motivate you and I to live the Christian life? So we're gonna read it together. Galatians chapter five, we've made it all the way to five. We got this in one more chapter, six chapter book. Galatians chapter five, we're just gonna read one through six. Galatians chapter five, verses one Uh, through six, this is what Paul says. Paul says, so Christ has truly set us free. Now make sure that you stay free and don't get tied up again in slavery to the law. Listen, 
I, Paul, tell you this, if you're counting on circumcision to make you right with God, and we say this every week, but just take out the word circumcision and, and put in whatever you think is the deal breaker for a relationship with God. If you're counting on circumcision to make you right with God, then Christ will be of no benefit to you. So I'll say it again. If you're trying to find favor with God by being circumcised, you must obey every regulation in the whole law of Moses. For if you're trying to make yourselves right with God by keeping the law, you've been cut off from Christ. You've fallen away from God's grace. Verse five, but we who live by the spirit eagerly wait to receive by faith the righteousness God has promised to us. For when we place our faith in Christ Jesus, there's no benefit in being circumcised or being uncircumcised. What is important is faith expressing itself in love. So in these verses one through six, Paul, he, he, it's kind of broken down in three sections. He kind of answers three questions for us that'll help us figure out how this Christian life is supposed to happen. And this is how he does it. First, he tells us, why we want to change, why in our human nature, there is this desire that we have to wanna to be better, to not wanna let ourselves go. He, he talks about why we're motivated to change. And then he talks about how we actually change. We're gonna look at that. And then he, he finishes by talking about what change actually looks like. So in essence, we're gonna look in these verses here and we're gonna see how Paul, Paul's gonna describe how believing in Jesus changes your life, how receiving and believing in unconditional love changes your life. He does it in three ways. Why, how, and what? Why, how, and what? And let's, let's take a look at those. So, so first, let's, let's look at, at, at how, or I'm excuse me, at why we want to change. What is it inside of us that keeps buying all the self-help books, signing up for the courses, renewing the gym membership we don't actually go to, what is it inside of us that drives us to improve or to change? You'll notice, hopefully you've noticed that as we've been reading through Galatians, Paul spends way more time on why we do the things we do instead of what we do. And if, if you're a big rule follower, this bugs you about the Bible because you wish it gave more clear lists of rules, but it doesn't as much as you would like it to. But what it spends a ton of time talking about is why we do the things we do, way more than the, than the what we do. And he does the same thing here. The first four verses are all about why we try to be good, why we try to live the Christian life, why we try to be good for God. He talks about our motivation, our motivation. And he's asking the Galatians and he's asking you and me this question. This is a very important question that we all need to answer. Why are you trying so hard to be good? Why? Why are you trying so hard to be good? I've already told you six weeks in a row that it doesn't matter for God. Doesn't change the way he sees you. Doesn't change the way he saves you. Doesn't change the way he loves you. So why are you trying so hard? Eat, drink, and be merry. For tomorrow we die. That's what Solomon said. Some of y'all are like, tattoo, right there. That's what I'm going with. I mean, I've told you six weeks in a row. It doesn't change the way he sees you, saves you, loves you. So why are you trying so hard? Why do you feel so guilty? Why do you feel so ashamed? Such a good question. And maybe you're here and, and you're trying to clean up your life. 
you, you want to be less angry or judgmental or drink less or sleep around less or gamble less or be in church more, be nicer to people. Why are you trying to do those things? What is your motivation? Because you have a motivation. What is it? Think about it for a second. Why are you trying to drink less? Why, why, why are you, why do you feel this pressure like you're not supposed to just sleep with as many people as you want? Why isn't it okay to get angry and punch a wall? Why, why should you be home more and not work as much? You feel this pressure. Why? Why is that important? Maybe you'd say, well, because I want to be a more disciplined person. You know, Jason, I'd like to be more disciplined. Okay, that's the first answer, but that's not the real answer. Take it another level. Why is it important for you to be more disciplined? What is it about being disciplined that you believe is of value in life? Or maybe you would say, because, you know, my choices are causing harm to people or causing harm to myself, and I don't want to cause harm to people. Okay, why? Why do you think that it's important for you not to cause harm to people? Why is it that it would be bad to, to harm yourself? Maybe you would say, because I want to be a good person. Great. Why? Why is it important to you to be a, a, a good person? As you begin to kind of filter the reasons why you want to change, you will eventually come to the fact that at your core, you want to be acceptable to God. You want to feel lovable. You want to feel acceptable. And you wouldn't say it like that maybe, but at its core, it's the essential human condition to try and make yourself right with God. Why do you work so hard? Because you believe, and I believe that there is an amount of money or there's a title or there's a place of power that finally makes us whole or complete or lovable. Why are you a helicopter mom who can't seem to let things go? Because you believe that there is some level of parenting, some level of love for your child that makes you acceptable, that makes you lovable, that makes you complete. Why is it that you can't stop hooking up with people you know are bad for you and you know you shouldn't be sleeping with them? Because in your mind, there is a level of acceptance or pleasure or being found beautiful that causes you to feel lovable or complete. Every human being wants to look in the mirror and like what they see. Every human being. And there is something or some things in your life that are causing you to look in the mirror and not like what you see. And you're convinced if you don't like what you see, there's no way God could like what he sees. Did you know that even if you're here and you're not a Christian, you still want to be acceptable to God? You still want God to look at you or think about you and say, you know what? Yeah, yeah. And so the reason that we're angry or we hold grudges or we can't forgive is because there is something that that person stole from us that we believe we need in order to be lovable and complete and acceptable and not wanting and not longing and not discontent. We, we want to feel as if we are a whole person. You want to make yourself right. Look at what he says in verse four. He says, for if you are trying to make yourself, here's the word, right with God. He says, if you're trying to do that, be right, be complete, be whole, be acceptable to God. And the way you're doing that is by keeping the law. In other words, by trying really, 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 really hard to be a good person who doesn't make mistakes. 
then you have been cut off from Christ and fallen away from God's grace. Now, this is so counterintuitive to everything we think. And this is one of the reasons why Christianity makes no sense to the logical brain. Because this verse is saying that the more you try to change yourself to need less grace, the more you're actually pushing yourself away from Jesus. Think about this. You think, and I think, that what God wants us to do is to become the type of person who makes less mistakes so we will need less grace. And Paul is saying, the more you try to live your life needing less grace, the farther you push yourself away from Jesus Christ. It's the opposite of what I always thought. I thought the way you fall away from God's grace was by doing all kinds of bad things. But the way you actually fall away from grace is to try to need it less. (laughs) I don't know if that makes sense to you. But it's that idea we've talked about every week that there's more than one way to be lost. There's one way to be lost to run as far away from God as you can. But there's another way to be lost and that's try to get as close to God as you can, hoping that one day he'll approve of you. Lost at a bar or a Bible study. Both persons trying to, to, to find or capture something that makes them feel right. So Paul's talking about motivation. Why do you try to get up in the morning and pray or read your Bible? Why do you come to church? Why are you trying to abstain from sex or, or drugs? Why? And don't miss this. The more you try to change for God to love you, the less you will feel loved by God. Please hear that. The more that you try to change so God will love you, the less you will feel loved by God. You will feel insecure. You will feel ashamed. You will feel anxious. You will feel discouraged. You will feel unworthy. You will feel tired. You will feel needy because you're trying to earn God's love. So listen, no doubt, please please hear this, no doubt Christians do and don't do certain things, but it's the motivation that separates Christianity from religion. It's why you do the things that you do that separates the the essentials of Christianity from, from religion. Listen, if you just wanna be a better person, there are probably better ways than Christianity. If you just want to be a more disciplined person or you just want to figure out how to make better decisions, there, there are other ways besides Christianity. But if, if you want to become a whole different person from the inside out, Christianity is the only way because it goes about it a completely different way. So why? Why'd you get up and come to church today? Why do you feel so guilty every time you say you're going to read the Bible, but then you start scrolling on your phone and then your time runs out? Or you try to pray, but you feel so inadequate as a praying person. Or you try to do devotions with your kids, you know, and then they're like picking their nose and flinging boogers and hiding under the bed. And you just think I'm a failure of a parent. Why? Why do you feel that way? Why do you, why do you feel so ashamed when the memories of the past that you can't let go seem to come up? Why? Because you are trying to make yourself good enough for God. And you disappoint you, so you assume God's disappointed with you. And so the motivation for why you're trying to change is to be acceptable to God 
And Paul tells us that if the way you are trying to be acceptable to God is by following the law and following the rules, you are actually pushing yourself farther away from Jesus. You will never find the love and feel the love and acceptance from Jesus Christ you want as long as you're trying to be the type of person you think gets it and receives it. So that's why, that's why we want to change to be right with God. Trying to obey God for the wrong reasons does more harm than good. But, but next, let's, let's, let's look at how. So that's why we want to change. We want to be right with God. But if we, don't, if, we don't, if we don't be right with God, if we're not right with God based on the law following the rules, how do we actually change? Look at verse 5. Paul says, But we who live by the Spirit eagerly wait to receive by faith the righteousness God has promised us. What the heck does that mean? (laughs) That's a mouthful. But we who live by the Spirit eagerly wait to receive by faith the righteousness God has promised us. We learned two weeks ago that righteousness just means being right with God. We've used that phrase a bunch this morning. Righteousness, it's such an important Christian word in the Christian vocabulary. You need to know what righteousness means. Righteousness means that, that God gives us credit for the life Jesus lived because Jesus got credit for the life that we lived. Does that make sense? Righteousness means that God gives you credit for the life Jesus lived because Jesus got credit for the life you live. And you're right with God because you get credit for Jesus's life. You're right with God. So this says, that we receive that credit by faith. We receive it because we believe it, not because we earn it. That's what he said, right? But we who live by the spirit eagerly wait to receive by faith the righteousness of God. We receive by faith the credit of the life of Jesus that God has promised to us. We receive it by faith. We receive it because we believe it, not because we earn it. And I could preach this message every week for the rest of my life and we still wouldn't hear it enough. This is the Christian message. This is how you change and live the Christian life. It's only when you truly believe that you are a beauty to God, loved by God, right with God because of Jesus that you will be able to live the Christian life for the right reasons. How? Because the more you think and the more that I think about how I am a beauty to God, how I receive credit for the life that Jesus lived, how I believe that I'm wholly accepted and loved, and that when I look in the mirror, I don't like what I see, but God absolutely loves what he sees. As long as as I believe that, really believe that I'm a beauty to God, wholly accepted, what my actions begin to come in line with my beliefs. And now I'm not living anxiously, I'm living eagerly. You see what he said? He said, but we who live by the spirit eagerly wait, not anxiously wait, eagerly wait. See, anxious living comes from hoping I'm good with God, from hoping I can complete myself or fix myself or be enough. That's anxious living. But eager living says, I know that I have received credit for the life that Jesus lived because Jesus got credit for the life that I lived. I know that Jesus earned it for me. I know what's in store for me. And only Christians can truly live eagerly for the future because non-Christians have no idea where they're gonna be a million years from now. Christians do. Christians do. The implications of this are enormous. 
This means that trying to change your actions will not make you feel more loved by God, but believing you are loved by God will change your actions. Let me say that again. There's a reverser there. Trying to change to be loved by God won't work. But believing you are loved by God will change your actions. This means that tomorrow when you wake up and you do something amazing, you ever have those days where you actually do pretty good? Like you give money to the homeless person or or you're patient with the jerk at work or you, you take on a little extra work to help somebody out or, you know, you let somebody in at the intersection right there getting on 264 by the airport, you know, or, you know, you keep your cool when your kids pour syrup on the couch. I don't know if y'all do that, but I don't know why we have syrup in the living room, but that's a separate thing. Um, And like, you're just like, wow, I handled that really well. And and if you're being honest, you think like, God is so proud of me right now because I'm so proud of me right now. And I'm, I'm pretty awesome. That's not, that's, that's not, that's not the motivation. That's not the Christian life. See, if this is true, what I'm telling you today, then that means tomorrow when you're awesome, you resist temptation, you forgive someone, you should say to yourself, this does not change the way God feels about me. He doesn't love me anymore because I did something awesome. As a matter of fact, I was only able to do good today because I know that Christ loves me. And tomorrow when you fail and blow it, whatever that is for you, you should say to yourself, I know that this does not change the way that God feels about me. He doesn't love me any less because I was bad today. As a matter of fact, he knew that I would fail and still decided that I was worth giving up his son to have a relationship with me. That lowest point of shame, that lowest point of guilt, that lowest, most embarrassing failure in your life, you should say to yourself, God knew this version of me and still decided that I was worth giving up his son to have a relationship with. Now, as I say that, isn't there some part of you that wants to reject it? Isn't there some part of you that is convinced that What I'm telling you right now would not cause someone's life to change for the better. But Jason, you are giving permission to people to just keep doing bad things. Isn't there some part that this doesn't connect where it's like this whole time, like we're we're 25 minutes in and you're thinking, like you've just been waiting, like, so you're saying I'm good, right? So you're saying I'm good. Last night, I'm I'm good? Great. Listen, if unconditional love motivates you to sin, then fear was the only reason you were obeying. Hear that. If unconditional love motivates you to sin, then fear was your only motivation to obey. And let's be honest, for a lot of us, fear is our motivation. We don't wanna get cancer. We don't wanna get an STD. We don't wanna have bad financial problems. We don't want our parents to find out. We don't want God to get even with us. But somebody up here is telling you that that's not what will happen. And you're like, okay, then I'll finally do what I wanna do. It was fear. If unconditional love motivates you to sin, fear was the only reason to obey. And fear will never transform your life. That's not a relationship with God. 
That's living in fear. So trying really hard to change won't work. It's believing that we're a beauty to God, except that he loves what he sees. That actually causes our life to transform and to change. And so that's why and and how, but finally Paul shows us what it looks like when we change. How can we know that we're changing? How can we know that, how do I know Jason that it's not me just trying really, really hard? I've always been pretty good at trying really hard and doing stuff. I'm a pretty disciplined person. Like, how can I know that I'm actually being changed from the outside in? That this, this is transformation, not just behavior modification. This is not just me trying to change myself. How can I know that I'm really believing that I'm wholly accepted by God and it is transforming my life from the inside out? Well, verse six, he tells us, look at verse six. He tells us what change looks like. He says, for when we place our faith We believe it in Christ Jesus. There is no benefit in being circumcised or being uncircumcised. What is important is faith, believing, expressing itself in love. Next week, we're gonna talk about the fruit of the spirit. And in essence, this is really what we're gonna learn that faith has an expression. Faith has an expression. There is something that the Christian life looks like. And when you truly believe that you are loved by God and saved by Jesus, your faith expresses itself in ways that are far beyond anything you could ever manufacture on your own. Because everybody in the room knows what it's like to kind of fake being good. But, But what he's saying here is that believing, really believing, faith has an expression. And, and, and most of our expressions are unplanned, aren't they? Most of the ways that we express something or react to something is really kind of an unplanned thing. And so in a way, Paul is saying here that like, when you really believe it, when you have faith, there will be some unplanned expressions of that faith who come out, that come out in your life. And next week, when we talk about the fruit of the spirit, he's gonna lay those, he's gonna lay those out for us. But, but, but he's just saying that, that love is an expression of faith, that, that love is what comes out of us when we believe. So, so catch this. Why do we try to wake up earlier and read our Bible and pray? Why? Faith expressing itself in love. Why, why do, do we, you know, try to be better and not do bad things and faith expressing itself in love? I wake up in the morning and try to read and pray because I know I'm loved by God and I love God and and I'm trying to spend time with him. This is just an expression of love based on the faith that I have that I'm holy and accepted by God. I stop trying to do the habits and harm my life. Why am I doing that? Why am I trying to say no to sexual temptation? Why am I trying to say no to substances that are ruining my life? Faith expressing itself in love. It's because I know that I'm loved by God and because I love God that I'm going to say no to the vices that have dominated my life. Not to be accepted by God. It's because I have faith that I am actually accepted by God that my faith is expressing itself in in love. That's why I forgive the person who hurt me. 
why I give up my preferences for my life, why I sacrifice, why I'm generous. Faith expressing itself in love. Listen to this. The Christian life looks like something people in love do. The Christian life looks like something people in love do. It's the expression of what you really believe about how God feels about you. And so I wanna end today by, um, I wanna tell you a story. This story is from the great minister, Charles Spurgeon. Uh, He was preaching on this topic, actually. And he said it, he said it this way, he had a saying in his, in his message. He said, until you know that you are completely saved by grace, you've never done a single thing for God. That's pretty harsh. I'm so nice to y'all. Y'all don't even know how kind I am to y'all. These preachers were mean, man. He says, until you know that you are completely saved by grace, you've never done a single thing for God. What does that mean? Well, the point he was making is that as long as you're trying to be good, so God will be good to you, every good thing you do isn't actually for God, it's for yourself. So you say, I'm doing this for God. I'm saying no to sex for God. No, you're not. You're saying no to sex for you because you're trying to be good so God will be good to you. I'm I'm saying no to anger for God. No, you're not. You're saying no to anger for yourself because you think that God likes you more when you're less angry. So it's for you. It's not for God. I'm going to church for God. No, you're not. You're going to church for yourself because you think God likes you more when you go to church. So you're going to church so God will like you more. That's for you. He says, until you believe that you are 100% wholly saved by grace, you've never done a single thing for God. So to make this point, he told a story and I wanna read it to you. Here's what he said. He said, once upon a time, there was a king who ruled over everything in a land. And one day there was a gardener who grew an enormous carrot And he took it to his king and he said, my Lord, this is the greatest carrot I've ever grown or will ever grow. Therefore, I wanna present it to you as a token of my love and respect for you. The king was touched and discerned the man's heart. So as he turned to go, the king said, wait, you are clearly a good steward of the earth. I wanna give you a plot of land freely as a gift so you can garden it all. And the gardener was amazed and delighted and went home rejoicing. But there was a nobleman at the king's court who overheard all this. And he said, my, if that's what you get for a carrot, what if you gave the king something better? So the next day, the nobleman came before the king and he was leading a handsome black stallion. He bowed low and said, my Lord, I breed horses and this is the greatest horse I've ever bred or ever will. Therefore, I wanna present it to you as a token of my love and respect for you. But the king discerned his heart and said, thank you and took the horse and simply dismissed him. The nobleman was perplexed. So the king said, let me explain. The gardener was giving me the carrot, but you were giving yourself the horse. You don't have to do anything for God. But once you really believe that, you want to do everything for God. You don't have to do anything for God. You don't have to do anything for God to love you. You don't have to do anything for God to save you. You don't have to do anything for God to see you as lovable and beautiful and complete. But once you really believe that, you will want to do everything for God. But it'll be for God and not for yourself. Let's pray.
God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you, God, that at my absolute lowest, most embarrassing, ashamed, nasty place, you saw me as a beauty. Thank you, God, that um, I don't have to do anything to be loved by you. Thank you, God, that you'll never love me anymore and you could never love me any less. And God, I wanna believe that, but I need help believing that because there's nobody who loves me like that. There's nobody who sees me like that. But God, I pray that today you, you would help me and you would help every person listening, every person watching, every person hearing my voice right now, that you would truly help us to believe that, that we would have the faith to believe that what makes us right with you is not what we do, but what Jesus did. That we would finally truly believe that we get credit for Jesus's life because Jesus got credit for our life, God. That we would by faith receive righteousness. We'd stop trying to earn it and we'd receive it. Then and only then, God, will we truly be able to live the Christian life for the right reasons. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.